Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are continuing our sermon series titled Acts, United by Fire, and Susan Thiessen will be speaking on Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 38. In this sermon, we look at how different groups of people throughout history have been othered, and specifically at the Gentiles who, in Jesus' day, were othered by the Jewish people. We then look at scripture and see how God's intention was for the Jews to be a blessing to the others. In our story, we see God then change the heart of Peter from a theology of exclusion to inclusion. Finally, we are challenged to see how we may be othering people, invited to listen to God and let him change the way we think about others. So last week can be praying for uh, some needs here at home, as well as those global needs uh, that we're keeping in our in our hearts uh, today. This morning we are skipping ahead a little bit in the Book of Acts. If you've been with us, we've been in a series in the Book of Acts, and last week we heard from Ruth Lewis on how the church in Acts was united in suffering and persecution. And we actually took some time to unite ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Kenya. We wrote some notes of encouragement to them. It was a powerful time together last week. And this week we're looking at, I think, a familiar story. Uh, And it's a story of when the church was not just rejoicing in persecution, but they actually turned around and welcomed in and embraced one of their major persecutors. And they didn't just welcome him to be part of the church, they actually welcomed him to become a leader. And they embraced him as one of the apostles, one of the sent ones of Jesus. We're looking at the story of the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter nine. If you wanna turn there with me. Um, There's three major characters in this story, Jesus, Saul, and Ananias. If you have a red letter Bible, it's exciting when you're reading in Acts, you get to chapter nine, there's some red letters because Jesus is there uh, and he's speaking. And um, so Saul is of course also known as the Apostle Paul and Saul is actually his Jewish or his Hebrew name and Paul is his Roman name, as he was a citizen of Rome as well. And we're just gonna refer to him as Saul this morning, that's the name that's used in the text that we're looking at. And just for reference here, the Ananias that we're talking about is a different Ananias than the one we talked about um, a couple weeks ago, which is a little bit confusing, but obviously Ananias was a popular name uh, at the time, so. This is a longer section of scripture. I'm gonna read the whole thing. And I'm gonna read uh, Acts chapter nine, verses one to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest 
of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for this Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. The word of the Lord. This is a a very powerful story uh, in the book of Acts, and there's a lot in here that we could talk about. But what we really want to focus on this morning is how did this happen? How did the church turn around and welcome and establish as a leader someone like Saul? Someone who the text says was eager to kill followers of the way and was likely responsible for the deaths of many of their friends. I think about this and I wonder if I'd be able to do the same. Most of you know that I volunteer in prison ministry, uh, so I go and lead Bible studies uh, with people in the justice system. And so I've sat around the table with people who have done some, some pretty bad things. And I've told them about God's grace. And I've told them that if they'll turn to him, his grace is available to them. But this situation with Saul in the early church, it feels different in some way. It's personal. It was their friends that he'd been attacking. 
And so the question stands, how did the church experience this miracle of forgiveness? And I think the answer is found in their commitment to the resurrection of Jesus, the empty tomb. The church in Acts was committed to following the risen Jesus. They were committed to the fact that he was alive. They were committed to listening for his voice and his instructions because he was a living king. And they were also committed to the reality that the call to follow Jesus was actually a call to die. Not necessarily literally, but absolutely it was a call to die to the old self, to the old nature, a call to become a new creation and embrace everything that that meant. And I think this commitment to following the risen Jesus and this commitment to the reality that conversion is actually the beginning of a brand new life. These are the very things that allowed the church to welcome and appoint someone like Saul as an apostle. But I actually want us to learn a few things from Ananias this morning. I'm not sure if I've ever heard a sermon on this Ananias, but he's a great example of what we can become as disciples or apprentices of Jesus. And so I want to look specifically at what this story about Ananias can teach us about the voice of Jesus and what it means to follow him. And I think there's three things that this story teaches us about the voice of Jesus to his apprentices or his disciples. Ananias shows us that the voice of Jesus is familiar. It's been heard often. It shows us that the voice of Jesus is consistent with his teachings. And it shows us that the voice of Jesus is exacting or demanding. It requires self-denial. So first, the voice of Jesus is familiar to his followers. One of the first things I want to draw out from this story is the difference between Saul's response to the voice of Jesus and Ananias' response to the same voice. So there's some differences, obviously, between the two encounters. The first being the blinding light that strikes Paul down and blinds him. Saul's actually not having a vision. The risen Jesus is actually appearing to him in his glorified form. And now in contrast, the text says that Ananias is spoken to by Jesus through a vision. So these are different scenarios, but the voice of Jesus is actually similar. Jesus says to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? So he says Saul's name first, and then he asks a question. And Saul responds by saying, who are you, Lord? He doesn't recognize the voice of Jesus because he's not yet a follower or a disciple of Jesus. But then in contrast again, Jesus says the name of Ananias. And you notice what Ananias says, yes, Lord, right away. The voice of Jesus is familiar to Ananias. He's heard it before, and he's expecting it. He's waiting for it. So this is someone who's been walking with Jesus for a while. He knows what the voice of Jesus sounds like, and he's ready for Jesus to have things for him to do. He understands 
what Jesus did for him. And he, he's obviously living with an awareness of that because he's ready to obey and do what Jesus wants him to do. Maybe this seems really obvious. I don't know. Um, yeah, of course, followers of Jesus will know the voice of Jesus. But I think the number of us that struggle with this or are unconfident or uncertain of our ability to hear the voice of Jesus tells me it's, it's not actually that simple. It's not that simple because the first and the, the major thing that gets contested by the enemy in the Bible is God's word. Did God really say? And in our story today, Ananias' response to the voice of Jesus leads to this truly radical advancement of the kingdom of God on earth. Like, I, I don't think we could understate the impact of Ananias' obedience. I'm not sure we'd be sitting here today without this story. But what's the best strategy for the enemy to disrupt this kind of advancement of the message of Jesus in the world? It's casting doubt on our ability to hear the voice of Jesus. It's casting doubt on the idea that Jesus has purposes and plans, good works prepared in advance for us to do every single day. And one of the ways I think he does this is to get us compartmentalizing our lives. So this is where we divide our lives into sacred activities and secular activities. So there's things, there's spiritual things that we do and then there's everything else we do, the normal stuff. And so maybe Jesus is interested in speaking into the spiritual boxes of life, right? Maybe he's interested in what we're doing at church. Maybe when we're reading our Bible or praying, he's interested in that. But we assume that he doesn't have much to say about the other parts of life, like a Monday morning meeting or lunch with a friend. Maybe Jesus doesn't value these things or doesn't have anything to say about them. And this is just a lie. It's a lie because Jesus actually wants to be invited into every part of our life. And I have this uh, exact picture of Jesus in my office downstairs on the wall. I think it's pretty cool. It's the white Jesus. He's kind of glowing. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. It's kind of retro. I like it. Um, I actually found it one day. I was walking home from the library and uh, someone had just discarded it on the side of the road. And uh, I was like, I think this is for me. So I picked it up and I've got it in my office. But it's a great reminder. And the scripture that this image comes from is uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And I'll just read it for you. It says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a we will share a meal together as friends. So in this passage in Revelation, Jesus is actually knocking on the door of the church. And the big question is, why is Jesus outside of his own church? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But the truth is, it's actually pretty easy to believe in Jesus, to even receive his salvation, but to not let him in fully into our lives. 
I think it's something that, that can happen pretty easily. But I love that this text says he wants to eat with us because eating is the most basic, ordinary part of life. And Jesus wants to be included in it. But the enemy doesn't want us to know this. And this is what John Thompson, uh, he's a pastor and author uh, from Sanctus Church in Toronto. No relation to me, but it's a good last name. Uh, This is what he says about the reality of this kind of uh, spiritual warfare. So he's talking a bit about the ministry of Jesus and how it continues on in the church. And here's what he says. But now that he, Jesus, has stepped away and sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, there are millions of Jesus people running loose on the planet. The kingdom of darkness is under siege and not happy about it. And one of its ongoing strategies in countering what God is doing is to convince believers that they do not have the spirit of Jesus and cannot see the Holy Spirit at work powerfully in their lives. The dark kingdom's success in this strategy is seen anywhere. The church is not having a significant impact on the world. That last line really hit me when I read that. The dark kingdom's success in this strategy is seen anywhere. The church is not having a significant impact on the world. I think it's important to pause and ask ourselves, is this strategy of the enemy having success in our lives? Are we doubting our ability to hear from Jesus and see him working through us? Do we doubt that Jesus wants to be part of all of our lives, even the ordinary parts, not just the spiritual parts? And I think if the answer is yes, that's okay. It's good that we become aware of that. And that's the first step. But I think we also want to ask, how does the voice of Jesus become more familiar to us? And for this, I want to go back to the story about Ananias. So the second point that I wanted to draw out from this story is that the voice of Jesus is consistent with his teaching. So if we look at chapter 9 and verse 11 again, this is what Jesus says to Ananias. Then the Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Ananias responds with a pretty reasonable protest. Lord, do you you know who this guy is? Do you know what he's been doing? It's pretty reasonable, I think. But here the voice of Jesus is doing what? It's instructing Ananias to go lay hands on an enemy a persecutor, and to pray for him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 45, this is what Jesus teaches. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. The voice of Jesus is always consistent with his teachings. 
the word of Jesus comes to Ananias by the Holy Spirit, who in many ways is applying the teachings of Jesus to a specific situation. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He brings to our mind the teachings of Jesus in the moment we need them. And that's what Jesus said, actually, in John 14. Jesus said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So I know this story uh, of Ananias and Paul is very particular. It's an important situation, but the principle here still applies in even in more everyday average situations. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us and show us how to apply the teachings of Jesus, and he does this at critical moments in our lives. So in my days as a youth worker, um, I can remember there was, a, there was a youth, and he was coming into our drop-in space pretty often, and he was living rough. And so living rough means he was on the streets, he didn't stay in shelters or anything like that, uh, not even in the winter, he chose to be out on the streets. Uh, and he had a lot of issues with his feet because his socks and shoes would kind of rot, they would get wet, they would rot, and he had a medical issue uh, with his feet. And so the, the result of this was that his feet smelled really, really bad. Um, and one day, he'd been in our bathroom for a long time, and uh, after, that, after he left, I had to go in and check on the state of things in the bathroom, see uh, if everything was okay. And I went in there, there was a huge mess, and the smell was like almost unbearable. I discovered later he'd thrown his old shoes in the garbage, and the bathroom was really small and it was totally enclosed. There was no airflow in there. There was no window or anything like that. So it smelled really bad. And my immediate thought was like, well, maybe someone from the facilities team could come take care of this. Uh, it legitimately wasn't my job at that point to clean the bathrooms. So I was tempted to hide behind my position. And at that moment, the words of Jesus came to my mind from Mark 10, particularly um, what Jesus says at the end. But I'll just read it for you. This is what the Holy Spirit brought up to convict me in this moment. You know that, there are, sorry, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This word applied at this moment cut through me, right to my heart, and I say I follow Jesus, I say I want to do his will, but I'm unwilling to serve in this way. I was deeply convicted. So I went back into the bathroom. I cleaned it myself. I bagged up the garbage. I took it outside. And the craziest thing to me is that I had this strong sense that Jesus was actually participating in this act of service with me. 
This was something that Jesus, the King of Kings, was willing to do and would have done. Bagging up old stinky shoes in an act of love and service. That's crazy. And now he was doing this, but he was doing it through me. Jesus was being formed in me in that moment when I heard his voice, when I followed and obeyed his teaching. So when we're answering the question, how can the voice of Jesus become more familiar to us? I have a very, I'm gonna affirm the answer that we all learned in Sunday school. (laughs) Reading and rereading the Bible, maybe especially the Gospels, memorizing parts of it, getting it into our bones. But this is a little bit of a shift, I think. It's intentionally reading the Bible with the goal. And the goal is familiarizing ourselves with the person and the voice of Jesus so that we can better know his voice and follow him in these particular situations in which we find ourselves. Excuse me. Lastly, I wanted to look at how this story shows us that the voice of Jesus is exacting or it requires self-denial. So here's a quick definition of exacting. Making great demands on one's skill, attention, or other resources. The voice of Jesus makes great demands on our skills, attention, and resources. I'm not sure this is how we normally think of Jesus' voice. Jesus is incredibly gentle. He was so gentle that in the Gospels, little children felt so safe around him. They would just run up to him. They wanted to be in his presence. But at the same time, Jesus speaks with ultimate power and authority. He's direct and he doesn't mince his words. And in this passage, the voice of Jesus is making remarkable demands on the faith and trust of Ananias. If we look at verse 13 again, as I said, Ananias makes a completely sane and reasonable protest to what Jesus is asking him to do. Lord, this guy is a killer. He's been killing and arresting your followers. And Jesus responds by repeating his instructions again. Go, this is what I've chosen. And it's really important that you do this, Ananias. Now for Ananias to obey, he has to deny what seems reasonable from his perspective. We don't get a window into how Ananias felt about this. We don't know what he was thinking. Um, But we know Ananias was human, just like us. And we know that this would be terrifying to lay hands on and pray for a known killer and persecutor of people like you. But I think this is always the case with following the instructions of Jesus. We have to deny ourselves if we're gonna follow him. In my story from earlier, to follow the voice of Jesus in that moment, I had to deny my default perspective, which was that I'm above doing a task like cleaning the bathroom right now. That's someone else's job. But that's a perspective I learned from the world, 
not the one that I learned from Jesus. And we have to deny what we've learned from the world in order to follow Jesus. And for Ananias, this means taking a huge risk. Really, it's life or death. Does he trust what Jesus told him to do? Does he trust that Jesus is good and true? But I think it's the same even when the stakes are not quite as high. I think of the story of the wedding at Cana. Maybe you know this story. Um, But Jesus is there with his disciples. He's there with his family. His mother comes to him and tells him that they've run out of wine at the wedding. And Jesus says at first, why do you involve me? Um, But ultimately, he's willing to get involved. And so his mother turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. It's good words to live by. But what does Jesus turn and tell them to do? He says, fill up these jars with water, then draw some out and take it to the MC, the master of the feast. So just imagine this for a minute. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of these servants. So everything life has taught you, all your experiences up to this moment, tell you that you're holding a cup of water in your hand. And now you're taking this cup of water to the master of the feast, and he's expecting wine. What are you feeling in this moment? What's going through your mind? I've talked a little bit about uh, the Bible studies I help read, uh, I help lead in the prison ministry that I volunteer with. And um, a few weeks ago, my sense was that Jesus was asking me to share my testimony uh, with the guys. And at first, it was just an idea, and I was like, oh yeah, that'll be good. I, I want to do that. Um, but then I got there. You know, it's always like when it's becoming reality that it kind of settles in, and you see their faces, they're looking at you, you have to talk like to them. You guys are a little bit intimidating too. So, <laughs> but you're sitting there, you've got you've to talk to these guys, and you know, this is when the doubts come in, right? This is when the accusations come in. And, it, and so I'm sitting there like, this is a terrible idea. What, who do you think you are? What is your story going to mean to guys like this? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever felt like that? In many ways, I felt like I was sitting there with water. Jesus had given me my testimony. But these guys needed wine. And how was that going to happen? But I had to deny the perspective that said, I'm too different to have an impact on these guys. I had to deny that and do what Jesus was asking me to do. So I did, and they were really engaged. And it really opened up a lot of doors for stronger relationships with them. I could tell you some more stories about that later. But sometimes following the voice of Jesus means a small risk, like we have to risk social rejection or ridicule. People might not like us if we do what Jesus is asking. Sometimes it means a big risk. For Ananias, it, was, it meant risking his life. But regardless, following the voice of Jesus always includes this element of denying ourselves. And I think... What Ananias understood, he understood that Jesus 
came to suffer with us. This is the understanding of the early church. And you actually get this in the story. Um, Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is so identified with us that he suffers with us. So anything he's asking us to do, he's going to do it with us. And Ananias understood that. And the church in Acts, they were so committed to this that they were able to stand united with a former persecutor like Saul. And I think we have to be grateful for their obedience because we're standing here today because of it. So listening and learning to hear the voice of Jesus takes time. Learning to follow and obey his voice also takes time. And we're going to take some time now. Uh, We're going to listen to the song called New Wine by Hillsong. Maybe you've heard it before. And I just want to leave you with one question this morning. And you can sit with this uh, while we listen. Or you can think about something else. If Jesus is speaking something else to you, uh, take some time to think about that. This is a space uh, for us to engage. But here's one question. Uh, for spiritual formation for us. Is there a perspective that you've picked up from the world that Jesus is inviting you to deny so you can better follow him? Let me pray and then we'll, we'll take some time to reflect. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you again for your obedience to the Father. Thank you, Lord, that even when it made no sense to you, you did what the Father was asking. You denied your own perspective and you went to the cross. And now we are welcomed in and invited in as sons and daughters because of your sacrifice. Jesus, we want to live continually aware of this reality. And we want to listen for your voice. We want to hear you speak. And we want strength to do what you ask. So Lord, we ask for these things this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Come and speak to our hearts as only you can do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.